1: Good morning, and you're on Dirt Radio with Sam. Jack is a little bit under the weather today, just like the weather and won't be in. Uh, Today's show, we are going to be talking with Campaigns Coordinator from Friends of the Earth, Cam Walker, and he'll be coming in very, very shortly. Firstly, I want to acknowledge that we are broadcasting to you live on stolen Wurundjeri land where sovereignty was never ceded. I want to acknowledge Elders past and present and also acknowledge the crucial role that First Nations people and Indigenous peoples around the world play in social and environmental struggles. Cam Walker, can you hear me?
0: I can. Good morning, Sam.
1: Good morning, Cam. Welcome to Dirt Radio again. It's been a while.
0: Yeah, it has.
1: So, Cam Walker, there's been a lot going on this year so far, and it seems like it's just going to get busier. Uh, Can you start by telling us what is the focus of Friends of the Earth Melbourne at the moment?
0: So we were remarkably busy through winter. Um, Often, you know, a lot of the outdoor stuff winds down, but um, it has been, it's just kept on going, particularly the SCAT crew, the Streslecki Koala Action Team have been out in Western Victoria looking at the the impacts of burn-offs, fuel reduction burnoffs on koalas, and they've been tracking what's going on with the number of reserves in Kippsland. They've been doing koala surveys. So that's been, you know, ongoing. Uh, but we're also in a phase of preparing for the state election. There was obviously a whole bunch of federal government announcements after the May election. Now we're focused on the state election, and we're also building some of our campaigns out in the suburbs.
1: Oh, my God, May election. That's right, there was an election this year. <laughs>
0: Years ago.
1: It seems like a lifetime ago. Uh, so, you know, we've noticed recently, of course, that there's been uh, quite draconian protest laws go around, around forest activism. What do you think that means for those trying to protect and defend the forest, which seems to be a flashpoint at the moment across Victoria, New South Wales and southern Queensland?
0: Yes, it's really de- a number of states enacting these laws. Uh, It's been a really long-running campaign down in Tasmania where the government has tried several times to put these sort of laws in place. Unfortunately, now we have laws that did pass through the Upper House whereby peaceful protesters could be fined up to $21,000 or wait 12 months in jail. Um, We just think this is bizarre because there are laws already in place. Police have powers to remove people if people are physically obstructing operations. We really don't think this is about safe workplace issues. We think it's it's an overreach by people that want to see the timber industry continue to destroy our forests um, at the taxpayers' costs. And we're also worried that some of our citizen science work, that is just going and doing surveys to find endangered species in areas that might be logged in future, may be caught up in this. So it may actually go broader than physically protesting. It might also start to impact on citizen science. And we know that Vic Forest, the state logging agency, its reputation has been trashed largely because of citizen scientists have shown that they're just not looking after threatened species. They're not looking after our forests in the way they should. The forests really are in a dire state of affairs. And if you take away the people that are watchdogging what the government agency is doing, then it's going to just basically cover up some very unsustainable practices on the ground.
1: Mm. So, yeah, it's quite an interesting situation we find ourselves in where uh, the state government has made it clear they intend to end native logging at least by 2030 but much like the uh, climate change uh, emissions reduction targets there's a huge sector of the movement that is saying this is not quick enough. Uh, what, what is possibly the reason for delaying such a cru- crucial uh, transition considering the state of the forest and and the ever increasing list of endangered species? What, you know, what is the thinking of the government to take so long?
0: uh well it was based on an election commitment from the last election back in 2018 it's worth remembering that the liberals and the nationals will tear this agreement up they just want to keep logging forever um mm-hmm. so it's important to identify their they're, partic- they're even worse on this uh, the 2030 um, target that was announced back, I think it was in 2018, was before the 2019, 2020 fires. And what we know now is that, you know, that burnt well over a million hectares of forests, including a lot of forests that are currently logged, and there just isn't the timber left. Mm-hmm. So it's imperative that we bring forward the uh, phase-out of this logging. They were just really, in a very real sense, In the state forests that are currently um, accessed for logging, there won't be any timber left by 2030. So we need to bring it well forward. We need an urgent transition, that is in the next couple of years. We can't afford to wait till the end of the decade. And what we know there's been multiple reports being done about the impacts um, of salvage logging which was done after those fires of the Black Summer. That's the worst kind of logging you can do because it compounds the damage of the bushfires and then you have damaged ecosystems that have equipment run through it so it compounds the environmental impacts so the salvage logging is now done but it's going to leave scars that are going to take decades to recover and now we are facing reduced availability of trees that is resources to log and so we just need to bring forward the closure date um it's just not sustainable it's not tenable to try and keep the current 2030 deadline for the phase out of native forest logging
1: Yeah. I I know in the sort of Just Transitions plan, a lot of the focus is on the energy sector and the move away from traditional fossil fuels to renewable energy. Does the forest movement have a similar plan? I, I believe that there are people at Friends of the Earth that are working on transition ideas for the forest industry. I'm just wondering... You know, is it up to the community to again create a roadmap, or is it the state government is lacking um, some sort of um, pathway that they can't see to move loggers into uh, retraining? Uh, yeah, I'm just there seems to be a, a lot of deep thought that that has gone into the transition towards renewable energy. I'm just wondering if the same process is taking place in the forest industry.
0: It is now. So traditionally, the green movement hasn't done this sort of work. We've focused on protecting the forests rather than planning for what's next. Mm. Um, There was a more simplistic approach to let's just shift into plantations and everything will be fine. That was the narrative in the 90s and the 2000s. And I think we've realised now that the world is much more complex than that. and, And so has led the charge there, particularly the decades of work by Anthony Amos, who has pointed out the ecological and the social impacts of mass scale plantations. Where we're landing now, and particularly Kim Croxford from Friends of Earth is driving this work at a regional level. We're saying, well, the solution is going to be a whole mix of things. We need a much more ecological solution. We, we of course, need to stop trashing a native forest, but we don't want to just simply replace it with mass scale pesticide Uh, reliant uh, soft wood plantations that take over farm areas. We wanna see agroforestry, we wanna see ecoforestry, we wanna see non-wood sources of pulp, rather than cutting down trees in order to create pulp for, for paper products. We need a much more regionalised kind of approach. And Kim's been doing some really great work up in the Murrindimgi Shire, so northeast of Melbourne, looking at how you bring together all those small scale producers that are producing, you know, good local wood in woodlots as part of agricultural activities, that sort of thing. Mm. And I think that that's really exciting work because it inherently factors in well, what happens to the workers. To their credit, the Victorian Government is putting money into transition, regional transition coordinators, so they are broadening their work. And we know that with climate change, fires are going to get ever worse. There's a lot of people currently employed, for instance, if they've got tractors and bulldozers and stuff like that, they're employed as contractors in firefighting season. So we need to make sure that those people are insured work in future firefighting Mm -hmm. um, operations and there's a lot of opportunities also for timber workers to move into that space so there is if you like same sector jobs that is jobs that are in the forest that are good work and we would argue need to be good union work and well-paid work and secure work but we do really need to get on with that at the same time as we need these regional plans that uh, community-driven that identify the sort of vision that a region wants in the future once the native forest logging ends. So it's great to see the work Fo is doing in that space.
1: Just a, a slight digression, Cam, you mentioned firefighting, and for our listeners that don't know, Cam is also a volunteer firefighter in his spare time, which I don't know when that is, Cam Walker. Uh, Tell us, what is the general feeling amongst the firefighting community about the summer that we're we're going to be facing? It's it's reaching that time of year where people start to get a little bit nervous, I guess, uh, about what's coming.
0: Yeah, it is. Um, although it, it, with all this rain, we've got a lower-than-usual prediction of fire um, for spring, which is really good. And what happens in those really bad summers is you get fires in the east in, in the forest in Gippsland and places like that in summers like this where we've had a lot of rain and therefore a lot of growth we're more likely to have fires in the west so this summer it's probably looking forward uh, to be more like it was last summer which is lots of fires in the west of Victoria into South Australia and that's what we'll be focused on. Um, uh, thankfully uh, the east of the state should be largely spared, this is based on the current seasonal outlook and really you know those forests that were hammered by such hot fires in 2019-20 they really need a break, they really need a chance to recover. So that's a really good sign that, fingers crossed, the third summit in the row will be uh, fairly mild in the east.
1: Yeah, definitely. I'm sure there's a lot of communities that are, um, you know, battling with uh, too much rain still uh, across the nation as well. So, yeah, climate change seems to be really uh, coming to the forefront. I was listening to Democracy Now on the way in. They were talking about what's happening in Pakistan at the moment. Uh, and using, you know, the word climate emergency and quoting other people that were now talking about a climate emergency. Uh, And I guess Australia was maybe uh, just ahead of the pack in terms of our summer of fires, but, you know, Europe has just had this incredible heat wave uh, and someone from the United Nations was talking about the fact that we have to end logging, we have to end fossil fuel dependency now in in this decade, uh, or we 're facing potentially temperature rises of two point seven which uh, obviously means a huge amount of species and and humans are going to be displaced if they are going to survive um, Is the government here in Victoria, and I guess broader looking into the national sphere now that Labor is in power, Cam, uh, is the government working towards a a plan uh, that you think is uh, strong enough to deal with the impacts of climate change? We know that... Uh, you know, there was a lot of talk about the May election that feels like a lifetime ago, uh, being a climate election and people wanting action on climate. Uh, what, what do you think so far about the Albanese government? Have they delivered or are they uh, still walking the line? I believe that Tanya Plebisek may have approved some uh, fossil fuel projects already.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that just today a letter was released signed by more than 100 climate scientists and academics, which basically pointed that out, that if the government is going to be serious about tackling climate change, uh, it needs to factor in the emissions from new coal and gas projects, which have been considered by the federal government, and they simply can't approve them. Um, On the plus side, you know, we had nine years of the coalition climate deniers, uh, absolutely blocking all action, absolutely trashing our reputation in the global realm. You know, we're such a wealthy uh, country and we're such a high per capita uh, emission uh, country. Countries like us, we, we need to lead. It's Pakistan is being devastated at present, but they have a very low per capita greenhouse footprint, ecological footprint. We have a massive one on a per capita basis. There's a real onus on which countries countries like Australia to, to lead, and we were absolutely an embarrassment for nine years. So at least we have a federal government that gets it, and they are actually moving quite rapidly. They, re, uh, they increased our emission reduction target commitments from a really embarrassing 26 to 28% to a 43% target by the end of this decade, so a 43% reduction in overall emissions, which is fantastic but it's nowhere near enough friends the earth and other groups were calling for a 75 percent target um when they were setting those those standards so you know at least we've kind of got out on the road and we're driving again after just spending years you know in the car park kind of doing burnouts and you know being an embarrassment to everyone so um it's good to see movement but there's so much more we need to do and a real key litmus test will be whether these, it's about 19 or 20 major fossil fuel projects that are currently kind of sitting there waiting to to be approved, whether the Federal Environment Minister approves them or not. Mm.
1: So uh, speaking of sitting in the car park doing burnouts, uh, obviously over the last 10 10 years, pretty much a decade, I guess since John Howard, uh, the charity sector has been under attack in this country. Uh, and Friends of the Earth knows perhaps better than anybody what it's like to uh, constantly uh, be accused of things uh, that we haven't done and have our DGR or our charitable tax-deductible status threatened. Uh, what do you think has been the impact of the Liberal Party's uh, war against, in particularly the environmental sector, over the last 10 years on our capacity to build movement?
0: Well, intention of that campaign to threaten the charity status of groups like Friends of Earth was to make everyone nervous Mm. and you know, less brave in terms of the actions we take. And I think to a degree it did work. I think we're all a little bit more nervous about being involved in peaceful protests if we're a listed charity. Uh, But uh, the detail in that is that by having endless challenges to the tax status, and Sam, you'll know the hundreds of hours we spent defending ourselves from Mm. various attacks from people like on campaigns. So when the ALP came to power, they said, look, we understand the role of charities, we understand the role of protest, the war on charities, quote unquote, is over. That's fantastic. We now have a minister, Andrew Lee, who actually understands the value of charities, and we can can be braver now, but the really fantastic thing on a day-to-day basis is we don't have to spend all that time, you know, pulling out old financial records. Whoever we are, wherever we are, whatever tactics we want to use, we can be braver about using them now.
1: So that seems to sort of, yeah, it's this bizarre thing I can't quite wrap my brain around because we're being told that, you know, on a federal level and yet on state levels, the the crackdown on direct action, so effectively anything that is beyond symbolic protest – Uh, just keeps getting harder and harder, also by Labor governments, particularly here in Victoria. So it's this crazy contradiction where... Uh, the charity sector is being told that it's no longer under attack, uh, but a, a very effective sector, small sector of the movement uh, is being increasingly uh, criminalised and attacked. And I'm wondering what you think the broader movement, NGO world's responsibility is to that. I know that we've had some brown paper lunch bag discussions with canon one of the peak environmental uh, alliance groups. W- w- what do you think is the role of movement in those spaces now that we have been told that we are, are free to speak and do uh, without being attacked?
0: I think that... 2015 when the coalition government attack on charities really ramped up the movement has kind of pulled together and worked really well and there was an alliance called HOC, hands off our charities that did really great work all those years which is based on a kind of mutual aid and, and movement solidarity perspective um it's really important we don't take the foot off the pedal now that um you know the overt Federal threat is gone because, as you noted, there's state governments enacting really draconian laws. And I'm Mm. really pleased that groups like the Australian Democracy Network are helping to coordinate resistance to these laws at a state level. So people probably remember just about a month ago there was a big protest outside Parliament to oppose the Victorian protest laws. But there will come a time when those laws will be enacted. You know, someone will get done under those laws and be facing uh, you know a mega fine and or jail time possibly only for doing citizen science and that's really the point where we need to be paying attention as a movement and responding as a movement and backing those people so movement solidarity was essential during the, the coalition years but it will remain essential as these very draconian state-level laws are approved and then eventually someone becomes the guinea pig and is the first person arrested under those new laws.
1: Yeah, I think Margie Pistorius, who some of you our listeners may know as being part of uh, Wage Peace, Disrupt and also Friends of the Earth in Far North Queensland, I was on a call recently with Margie and Margie said solidarity is the new currency. Uh, And I think that's so true, not just here in Australia, but also with our regional and our our global comrades, because the struggles are the same everywhere. So before we wrap up, Cam, I could not let the interview go without um, talking about Gas. Uh, gas seems to also be exploding in uh, Australia. And yeah, uh, particularly in Victoria, there are plans to move with some gas projects. Can you tell us a little bit where the fight on gas is? Because... Obviously, it's been a a cornerstone of Faux Melbourne's work around the fracking ban. We've been uh, fighting to stop this fossil fuel for a long time now. How has it reared its head again, and what can our listeners do to support Friends of the Earth and the communities that are pushing back?
0: Yeah, there's a couple of really big things. One is, as you know, through the fracking campaign, we stopped onshore gas drilling for many years, and now we're facing the threat of onshore conventional gas. But there's also a really interesting state government process, which is called the gas substitution roadmap. And there's a lot of opportunity to influence that. And a really key thing is, if you're building new housing or suburbs on the fringe of Melbourne, traditionally just by right, those new suburbs are connected to gas. And the government has removed that requirement now, which is really fantastic. So we need to work with, you know, businesses with households to help them to get off gas to electrify using renewable uh, generated electricity so there's a whole bunch of that kind of you know demand side of things there's the ongoing greenfield struggles against new onshore gas but really the main game that's become uh, or come into frame in the last month has been this massive new plan to do seismic blasting offshore in a just an enormous area of the oceans to the 7.7 million hectares of ocean, and it goes down to King Island in Tasmania. Melbourne. go to the campaigns, you'll see the No New Gas Working Group and you'll be able to find all about what we're doing and find ways to get involved in that.
1: Yeah, thanks, Cam. Uh, and listeners may remember we did run a two-part series from the SOPEC event that happened down warnable Way where uh yaron talked about the song lines of the whales and them being the oldest storytellers and oldest communicators on earth and this is going to impact their uh carving areas uh, as well as their basically their whale highway up and down the coast so yeah uh, it's really deeply disturbing. Uh, and listeners can also uh, go to SOPEC's Facebook page, S O P E C, and check that out, as well as Oceans. And there's, uh, I believe, there's also a surfers group down the Great Ocean Road Cam that has gotten involved, Surfers for Climate Action. Is that correct?
0: Yep, that's correct. Yep. And the good old The Ocean Group out of Apollo Bay, which is a real, you know, mainstay in this campaign.
1: Yeah, they're doing amazing work. Well, I'm glad to see that the resistance against gas uh, is continuing. And, uh, yeah, we wish everyone well who's working on that campaign. Uh, Cam, we've touched on nearly all the campaigns, I think, except Sustainable Cities. We we have a few minutes. I believe there is uh, a really cool Better Bus campaign going on. Could you give us a bit of a round-up for a few minutes on that and then we will wrap
0: up? Sure, yeah. So we know that big chunks of Melbourne really isn't serviced well by public transport and the cheapest way you can extend rather than building light rails, you know, train networks or heavy rails like trains, the best way you can develop the network in the short term at a reasonable cost is to improve bus connections and services. And this is particularly a problem in the western suburbs, which are growing pretty fast and are often radically underserviced in terms of many public amenities, but certainly including public transport. So we have a better buses... Uh, focused on the West. We're going to have a big uh, session out there in October, but our coordinator, Elise, has been out there working with local groups, connecting people. We did a big survey uh, last year of bus users and public transport users in the West to tell us what the problems are, to tell us what the solutions might be. And I feel like now we've got the basis for a really good community-driven... Allow people in the West, particularly the outer West and the outer North West, to kind of enjoy the type of PT that people in the inner city take for granted.
1: Amazing. That's also a great campaign. I love the intersection of Friends of the Earth working also with the Disability Resource Centre who are also seeking access to public transport. Uh, It's amazing that it's 2022 and we're only just addressing uh, the issues. And I know Friends of the Earth has talked about public transport for many decades. Uh, But this time it feels like maybe we have a chance to actually make some uh, deep system change to how our infrastructure uh, and our access works. So... Uh, kudos to everyone working on the Sustainable Cities Better Buses campaign. Cam Walker, uh, I also believe you are involved in a snow festival called Backcountry, is that correct?
0: Oh yes, we have the Backcountry Festival this weekend uh, up at Mount Hoffman and we've organised the forum because um, if you think about it, in Victoria for the last 50 years people have been campaigning to protect beautiful places like the Grampians, Gary Word or or, you know, the Alpine zones in national parks. And to a large degree, we've done that. We've got a great reserve system across the state now. Unfortunately, climate change is coming for those reserves. You know, the, the story isn't over. When you declare a park, you have to have the money to actually look after it, and then you need to be able to protect it from destructive fire. So we're organising a forum, and it'll be streamed live through the Friends And how it is impacting on forests up in northeastern Victoria, how fires are getting worse, and how we need to look after these forests so this amazing legacy of this massive national park um, isn't actually burnt to a single in coming decades.
1: It sounds wonderful, and I will put a link in the pod so people can find out where they can hook up for this amazing event on the weekend. Cam Walker, it's been great having you on the show. I guess I'll probably see you soon in Faux HQ. And thank you again for your time this morning.
0: Thanks, Sam. Good to have you on. See ya. Bye.
1: You're on Dirt Radio with Sam, flying solo this morning because Jack is a little bit sick. Up next, Billabong Beats. That's it from me for today. We're going to go out with. This is a public.